At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. So I grew up in Oklahoma, and as I think back to my early years, my, my, my childhood when I started school, I've got some very distinct memories. Like I remember, I remember I liked all my classes. Like I just, I loved school, I loved going to school, I loved being around friends, right, hence the whole grounded thing. But there was one particular class, music class, that I really Love. Now, it wasn't, I've told you guys a story about middle school when they would not let me sign up for music anymore. They kicked me out because I was so bad. This was before that, right? This was before that. In early elementary, they didn't give me instruments. I just, I had to watch the teacher play the songs and play all these instruments. And, and she would teach us about the instruments. And we would listen to music and talk about the music. So there was one song. And I still, all these years later, I remember the song. Amy, I think she thought I was making it up until I found a recording of the song that I'm about to share with you and I played it for and she's like okay it's a real song but here's how it goes it goes like this it goes I hate green I hate green I hate everything that's green I hate every single thing that's green now I don't know that the original guy sounded that but my teacher did like my music teacher in Oklahoma she sounded just like that and um, I think the reason I like the song is because he kept saying hate I hate it I hate it this has nothing to do with Michigan State by the way nothing at all and but he, he would just keep repeating that over and over and I was like I can't say hate around my head. and he just and then halfway through the song just so you know the big ending he stops He's like, wait a second, trees are green, the grass is green. You know, I love green, I love, I love everything that's green. And I didn't even like that part. I like the I hate it though, right? Because I thought, man, if I went around my house and I hated things, my dad, whoo, like there was no I hate it. You didn't do that around my house. But then I started thinking there's other things I hated. Like there's some things, as a kid, I never said it out loud, but like you learn to hate the Texas Longhorns. Like you, you know, if you're in Oklahoma, you're a Boomer Sooner fan, you don't like the Longhorns. This is how you do it. You got to do the horns down, you know. For you, it may have been the Buckeyes or something, because I know no one cares about Texas here, but that may have been the Buckeyes that, or whatever team, you know, but you were taught there's a team. For me, hating like I hated beans. No, I never would have said that in a million years. But my dad knew. Like, he knew. Like, Billy likes the cornbread. He likes that cast iron skillet cornbread. But once a week, it was my dad's favorite meal. His favorite meal in the whole world. So we would have a big crock pot full of brown beans with a big thing of pork fat in it. Y'all, and there was none of this, I just want pizza for dinner. Like, that did not happen. It was, you're going to sit there. We worked hard for that food. You're going to sit there till you make a happy plate. And so, I had a lot of long nights once a week, man. It was going to be a long night because I was going to sit there at that table forever. I um, hate, man, there's some things. I hated when Bruce would break out. So, I had this pug, Bruce Lee Creech. And Bruce, this is, Amy got to meet Bruce. Bruce, if the door to the front door was open that much, he's going to get out that door. And he's gone, you know. And, and pugs, if you've never been around a pug, pugs can't really bark. They just can't work up enough momentum to get a full bark out. So it kind of comes out like, arr, arr, 
you know, that's all they got. That's it. That's all the, the, the bark that's in them. So what Bruce would do is he would get out and he would run from me and he would put his head and his shoulders low and his rear end up in the air and he'd do that pug bark thing, you know, and I'd be like, mom, I don't want to go chase the dog because he's just going to, let's just, he's going to know his way home. He knows where the food, we should just sit. Nope. He'll get ran over by a car. Go catch your dog. And so I'd have to run all over the neighborhood for the next 45 minutes to catch a stupid pug to get him back. I hated, hated when he would break out, you know. So we know probably that we shouldn't go around hating on everything, should we? Like it's not good to go around, but there's some things we should hate. Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 6 that God hates. He hates haughty eyes. He hates a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. So church, there's some things that we absolutely should hate, some sin that we should hate, but here's what I think. I think that sometimes, sometimes if we're not careful that what we end up doing as Christians is falling into the exact sin that we're supposed to hate. And I think even more dangerous than that is when we kind of gravitate towards that posture of othering. You know what I mean by othering, right? Well, othering is when you take all of that emotion that you're supposed to have, that, that feeling of hate towards sin, and you direct it towards another person. Does that make sense? Like all these, these feelings that you have that get worked up, these, these ungodly thoughts and behaviors, you start to point at another person. That would be othering. And I know the tendency is to sit there and go, well, she's not talking to me. I don't other. I don't do that. I'm not a hater, pastor. I don't go hating on people. I don't hate anyone that I know. You know, I'm, I'm really a pretty nice person. And I would just say, before you go there, we really should examine our hearts against Scripture. We should look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 as he says that those who reject the gospel are haters of God. Which then you're probably sitting there thinking, but I haven't rejected the gospel. So I don't hate God. That's not me. We'll keep reading. Because you're going to get to Romans chapter 5. And he's going to say in Romans chapter 5 that, that those who have embraced the gospel. That's most in this room. Most in this room you've embraced the gospel. You've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You followed that in scriptural baptism. Paul says that before that, before you had embraced the gospel, you were enemies of God. Enemies of God, meaning you are hostile toward God, meaning that you hated God. And what I'm saying is that every single one of us, at one time, either now or at one time in your life, we were sons and daughters of disobedience. We were people who were so full of hate. And so here's the question today. How do we flip the script on hate? How do we do that? How do we go from hate to love? How do we flip the script on hate? Take your Bibles. Let's open up to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I, I actually think because 1 John chapter 3 is written by 
John. And I think John's life is the perfect picture of how you flip the script. John is known as the disciple of love, the apostle of love, right? This disciple that Jesus loved. He wrote the greatest verse on love in the whole Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? Every single one of us, we grab a hold of that and there's, there's hope in that, right? There's reassurance in that for God so loved the world. In his gospel, he uses the word love 57 times. That's more than the other three gospels combined. First John is just a short five chapters. In those five chapters, he uses this word love 47 times. So you can just see it's super saturated with love. It's easy to look at John and to be like, yeah, I get why you are the disciple of love. I, I get it. I get why they would call you that. He also has another name though, doesn't he? The other name comes from Mark chapter 3. He was one of the sons of thunder. So we have this disciple of love. I just want to give you a quick little snapshot of this guy who's all about love from Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, it says, when the days drew near for, for him, for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. All right, in case you missed it, because there was a lot of text right there. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? You got that part, right? This is the love guy who just said that. We're looking at those, this is othering. We're looking at those people, those Samaritans. We're Jews, they're those Samaritans. Do you want us to tell fire to come down and consume them? And maybe you're sitting there going, but pastor, isn't that kind of a righteous anger though? They, they were rejecting Jesus. I, I think it's righteous. I think what they're doing is holy. This, then why did Jesus rebuke them? You did see that part, right? Jesus rebuked them. Here's why. What was in their heart wasn't love. What's the opposite of love? Hate. Hate is what was filling their heart. They were looking at the Samaritans and filled with hate. They weren't filled with compassion. They weren't filled with mercy. They weren't filled with gentleness and with, with patience and with love. They were filled with hate. And so Jesus rebukes them. And so what we're talking about is going from this posture of hate to one of love. What happened with John between Luke chapter 9 and 1 John? Because there's been a lot of growth, church. There's been a lot of maturity, a lifetime worth of maturity that's happened. All of a sudden, he's not this harsh guy with this abusive heart. He's not that. There's a change that's come over him. He's, he's softer. He's wiser. How does he do that? And some of you, you've been following Jesus for a while now. And you're like, no, I get it. I get where that change comes from. I've had some miles of experience now. And you know that if you pass 1,000 quizzes on what it means to love others well, you've come to a point in your life that you know there's a thousand more waiting for you. There's going to be more opportunities to exercise selflessness and to exercise unconditionally, endlessly, sacrificially compassionate love to others. And it's never easy. Right? It's never easy. It can only be done in 
Christ. And so we're going to dive in, 1 John chapter 3. And when we jump in, what you're going to see is John's going to start out by talking about what it means to be a son of God or a son of the devil, right? And, and he does this a lot. Like you have two paths you can choose. Are you going to choose the way of light or the way of dark? Which way are you going to go? 1 John chapter 3 verse 10. It says this. It says, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. So I wasn't trying to be dramatic right there by saying children of God, children of the devil. These are John's words. John would so oftentimes what he would do is in his writings, he would just basically say, let me recap what Jesus has already said. You've already been taught that and you're going to see that again and again this morning. By this it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So here's a quick gut check time. What motivates your heart? What is it today that's motivating your hands, your, your speech, your action, your social media? What is it that's motivating you? And I think you really have to ask this honestly because so oftentimes we'll lie to ourselves. And what we'll do is we'll do the same thing that, that John did in Luke chapter 9 and say, well, my cause is a noble cause. My cause is a, is a righteous cause. It's a, it's a good cause. So how are you supposed to know what's motivating your heart and your hands and your speech and your social media? How are you supposed to know what's motivating? Well, here's one way. Hate takes. Hate is always going to take. Let's keep reading in verse 11. It says, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Verse 12, we shouldn't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, as you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So this letter, this is a general epistle, and, and what that means is John wrote this letter saying, let's recap the things that Jesus taught us, and he sent this all throughout Asia Minor. Today, it'd be like modern-day Turkey. He sent it to a whole bunch of churches, not just one specific church, but a whole bunch of churches saying that this teaching is good for all of you. There's some struggle in this for every single one of you. You need this truth. And I think the same is true for us today. That as we read through this church, we need this truth today because Jesus challenged not just the 12. He challenged all of humanity that we are supposed to love, even, even our enemies, which is hard, even those people who are against us. You see, what Jesus would do is he would take the Old Testament and he would say, let's bring out that Old Testament that has kind of been hijacked from some of the teachers of the law, but let's go back to this foundational teaching. Leviticus chapter 19 is a good example where it says that we should, uh, we should love our neighbor as ourself. So with Jesus' very first public sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he teaches on this topic and he says that you've heard that it was said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Enemies meaning those people who are against you. 
right? Those people who hate you, those people who have it out for you. He's like, even those people you should love and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. Do you see the parallels here between what Jesus just said and what John is saying in 1 John chapter 3? Do you see these parallels with love and with hate, with enemies and with children? Jesus is simply passing on what it means to follow Jesus. We call that discipleship today. Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. I want you to baptize them. And then he said, and I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's what John's doing. John's saying, this is what Jesus has commanded, and we need this retaught because we're not very good at it. So I'm going to keep reteaching what it means to love. John chapter 13, Jesus says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, the way that you and I love each other, the way that you and I love each other is going to be a testimony to the world. The world is going to know that Christ loves them because of how we treat each other, because of how we love and care for each other, which also means if we don't do this well, the world's never going to know. And, and, and let's not even say the world because the world seems so grandiose. Can we just say our community? Can we just say Romeo, Washington, Almont, Armada, your home, Bruce, right? These communities that we live in, these individuals who live there who are far from Christ today, they will never know unless we love each other well. That puts, that puts a lot of emphasis on how we do this, doesn't it? On how we do church family together. And then there's this illustration that says, because if you don't, it's going to be like Cain and Abel. It's going to be like Cain and Abel. And now, quick spoiler, if you're like a person who's never read the Bible ever, in Genesis chapter 4, very beginning of the Bible, you see that Adam and Eve, the first humans ever, they had these two sons, Cain and Abel. Well, Cain killed Abel. I know, I just ruined it for you. There you go. But let's read it. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 3, says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. His face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desire for you. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And they were in the field. Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And so here we have Abel. Abel brings his very best to the Lord. Worshipfully, he brings it. Sincerely, he brings it and the Lord is pleased. Cain Cain doesn't bring his best to the Lord. He doesn't bring it worshipfully. He doesn't bring it sincerely. It's, it's more done out of duty. I need to check the box. The Lord's not pleased. 
And so all of a sudden you see this change start to happen in, in, in Cain because Cain sees that the Lord's happy with Abel but not with him, pleased with Abel but not with him. And so in his heart there's so many things that are birthed in this moment. Envy is birthed. Jealousy is birthed. Resentment. Comparison. Church comparison is birthed in the heart of Cain right here. And so then there is this disposition towards sin. I'm going to hate my brother. I'm going to kill my brother. And yet the Lord, do you see the Lord gave him an opportunity to get out of this? He gave him an opportunity for grace. Cain, it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to give in to this. And yet the one who has the right to judge, he didn't believe would judge him. And so he fell into that pattern of sin. And then he fell into that pattern of othering, of placing all of this hate on his brother to the point of murdering him. And so what we see in Scripture is we see this call, don't, don't be like that. Don't villainize other people. Don't have this sinful posture toward other people and then try to justify it in your own heart. Matthew 5.21 says it like this. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who's angry at his brother will be liable to judgment. Which John, this is shocking. Like it's saying, if you are holding on to this anger and this hatred in your heart against someone, it's the same as murdering. It's no different. It's the same sin. John says the same thing in verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So back to Jesus, Jesus verse 23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. Now as Jesus said that in his very, very first sermon, I wonder if he was thinking about Cain and Abel when he said that. I wonder if that's what went, we don't know, we don't know, but I wonder if that's what went through his mind and his heart, that hate takes life. John chapter 3 verse 19 says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The contrast, friends, the contrast to the darkness and the sin and the depravity is Jesus. Jesus is the contrast. He is the light of the world. Which brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that we need to follow Christ, not Cain. As followers of Jesus, isn't that what we want? We want to follow Christ not Cain. I know that this makes us uncomfortable. This is a hard message because it requires us to look in the mirror and do some serious gut checks. But this is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died for us. He physically died for us. He gave his life for us so that we spiritually could be born again. So that we could have eternal life in him. So that we could live a different kind of life today. That happens through faith in Christ alone. That's where that comes from. It's not through your own strength. It's not through your own power. It's not because you're just that good. It's through faith in Christ. That's where that power comes from, to love one another. Now think about this. Cain and Abel were brothers. But isn't that what we're called as church family in Mark chapter 3? Isn't that what we're called all throughout the New Testament? There's this spiritual family where we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the calling that we have. Now if we're going to talk about ourselves as family, though, I need to point something out. 
Because some of you, like you've got a family, like your nuclear family, and you're looking at your family going, but I don't like them all. Okay, there's a difference between love and like. There's a real big difference. In fact, there's a a pastor, a preacher, a theologian, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who says this about this love passage. He says that loving and liking are not degrees of the same thing. They're essentially different. And I think, I don't know why, but I think in today's world, we get this really confused. Seems like in the old days, there's a, a movie called Shenandoah. It's like, you guys, raise your hand if you know Shenandoah. It's four. Cool. Okay. <laughs> it, it's an old movie. It's black and white. It's awesome. You really should watch it. There's a scene where you've got this dad, right? His daughters want to get married. And so he got this, I think this is how the story goes. And then this like future son-in-law, he's talking to him like, I want to marry your daughter. And so the dad's talking to him and he's like, well, son, I just got a question for you. Do you, do you like her? The boy's shocked. He's like, well, sir, I love her. I want to marry. Well, I know you love her. You want to marry her. That's not what I asked. Do you? There's a difference in loving and liking. Do you like her? And so I just, that stuck with me all these years. But I think that's what's going on here, right? There's a difference in love and like. And I think we've watched so many romantic comedies that we think they're the same thing. Church, they're not the same thing. Infatuation is not love. Liking how someone looks, that's not love. Thinking they're funny, that's not love, right? Wanting to jump over fences or sing in public for them, that's not love. Here's love. Love is when you look at someone and there's all the obstacles in front. All those things that you could make into mountains. And through the filter of Christ, all of those obstacles continue to become less and less. And you see them the way that Jesus sees them. That's what I'm talking about. You see, there's a difference in like and love, and I get it. You may look at your family right now, and you may think there's some people I don't like very much because they're not very nice. And I've got some of my neighbors around me, and I don't know. <laughs> you might look and go, there's some people in my church, and I don't even know, you know. There's just some people, and, and that's okay. Like, I'm not talking about that. The sin comes when you allow those obstacles to become so elevated that all of a sudden you say, not that... They're not my best friend, but when you look at that person, you say, I I hate that person. Hate. Hate takes. That's not the calling that we have in Christ. I like how Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it. He said, let no man pull you so low as to hate him. Did you hear that? Let no man pull you so low as to hate him. Which brings us to our final point this morning. And that is that love serves Love serves. You all know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But let's look at 1 John 3.16, which is also an awesome passage. It says, by this we know love. Here's how we know love right here. Here we go. That he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. That we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him... How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Love requires action. Love is not I love you, period, the end. No, love requires action. Jesus says it like this in John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded. You see, that's what we see. We see this call to the mission. The mission, go and make disciples of all nations. So we should go, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. So we've got to love. we got to go. we got to love. And then we got to do. It's going to take all three of those things to happen for us to be living the life that Christ has called us to. We have to go. We have to love. We have to do. And so time for the application. How do we do that this week as a church? What does it look like for us? Well, Audrey mentioned to you at the top of the service, we have a prayer meeting tonight from 6 to 7. Tonight, I would love for you all to sign on Facebook. Uh, I'll be there. I'll be online. All the campus pastors will be there. Pastor Chris will be there. We will all be there from 6 to 7. We're going to talk about this week of prayer that we're going into this time where we're going to pray for personal revival and family revival and church revival and revival within the nation. And when I say revival, what I'm talking about is this turning in our hearts. Lord, give us clean hands and pure hearts. We don't want to lift up our attention to any kind of idols around us. We want our focus and our adoration to be on you and you alone. We want that for ourselves, for our family, for our church, for our nation. That's what we're crying out to you for. I want you to be part of that. Just the way that you gather, I want you to know this is an act of love right here. What do you think it meant to a family who said, we're going to be bold enough, even though this scares the fool out of us, we're going to be bold enough to get down in those baptism waters. And you were here this morning for one of those spiritual markers in their life to say, well done. I just want you to know that is love. That's what love looks like. The fact that you are here and you are gathered and you're intentional. That you guys get here early and you look at the person to your left and your right and you say, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Tell me those God stories of what the Lord is doing in your life. You're so intentional about gathering. At the 10 o'clock service, we're going to have people who are going to be gathered. Hundreds of people gathered online. Who are going to say physically, I'm at an at-risk spot. I can't return quite yet, but I'm going to gather every week. I see those same names every single week. They're engaging with each other and interacting with each other and encouraging one another. Through your life groups, we have so many people gathered every single week. Right now, the first six weeks of the year, we're gathering in our, in our uh, life groups for the first six weeks. So many of you are so intentional about saying, I'm going to make sure to gather. I'm going to move from rows to circles, and I'm going to encourage those in the circle that, that they can keep going in this journey to love one another. I'm going to love my neighbor. In your bulletin today, when you open it up, there's an insert in there. It's going to give you all kinds of ideas on how you can love your neighbor Next week, there's going to be another insert, a different insert. It's going to talk all about how you can love your neighbor. Two weeks from today, we're going to have backpacks for you that are empty. And your job is going to be to take those backpacks, and there's going to be a list inside of it. And you're going to fill that with all kinds of things so that we can go and give it to people who are homeless or on the streets. Just as our way to say, we're just going to love our neighbor. We can do that. That's a very simple thing for us to do. So we as a church, we're going to continue to give you tools on, on how to love those around you. But here's the thing. It's intentional. You see, if you don't intentionally do it, we're going to pause and we're just going to take care of ourselves. 
in our own families, right? That's what we do. It's you being intentional. So why don't you today, even as you're leaving, just say, Lord, help me to see people the way you see people. Don't, don't let me overlook anyone. That person who needs a smile even through a mask, Lord, let my eyes smile in a way that they see your eyes. Maybe that person next door to me who needs encouragement, let me encourage that person. Last night, I got to meet my new neighbor who's not even moved in yet because his dog ran in my house. And um, I mean, I called the police department asking if anyone had lost a dog. I, I had gone over. He wasn't there, you know. So I was like, well, I, I don't know. I put out a, a Facebook thing saying, hey, anyone in the neighborhood, if you lost a golden retriever, it's a beautiful dog. It belongs to somebody. I, I had driven around our neighborhood, the neighborhood behind us. I was coming home. He literally was in tears when he heard that we had his dog in the house. It's a fun way to meet the neighbor, Right. Just look for ways. Lord, how do I love my neighbor? How do I love my church family? Will you show me how to live this life of selflessness? Father, we thank you. We thank you for this high calling. Lord, we thank you for the example of Christ in our lives. I just pray that the community around us, Romeo, Washington, Almont, Armada, Ray, Bruce, Lake Orion, Oxford, Macomb, Lord, let all of these communities be impacted by the way that we love each other. Continue to show us what it means. So that means as we look in the mirror, our hearts, our hearts are probably going to need some scraping and some cleaning. Lord, help us to repent of those areas where we've been doing less than, where we start to become selfish, where we start to follow the ways of Cain, not the ways of Christ. Lord, be glorified by the way that we love each other and the way that we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Church, let's stand as we close our morning in worship together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.